Hello all, welcome to Defense Politics with Mr. Watson. I am most certainly your host, Christian Watson of this Pensive Politics Podcast. And I am happy to be with you guys on your commute, in your homes, wherever you are, in your workout routines, wherever my voice is transmitting through the internet, through these telecommunication devices towards you and towards the world. Thank you for letting me into your space. Thank you for letting me into your life. I incredibly appreciate it. Again, if you want to stay updated about Pensive Politics before we get started, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Christian Watson. Um, look at me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I was going to say Parler, but Parler's down. <laughs> uh, Minds.com, all of them will have the same unified uh, handle, at Official C. Watson. I look forward to interacting with you guys and talking to you guys more. And as I always begin the show saying... I am doing all right. I've just recovered from COVID-19. You guys may see a white wristband on me that is simply given me by my college so that I can attend classes in person and not be cooped up in a room in complete and utter isolation. Although Emerson says solitude brings out genius. Emerson actually mentioned he he did an essay on solitude, which was published in The Atlantic in his day, or The Atlantic reprinted it, and it mentions how if some of the greatest people, some of the greatest minds on planet Earth didn't have the solitude, their genius would have never grown into what it became. It would have never germinated into this powerful locus of action, which inspired us. If Newton didn't have solitude when he was working on his theories about the universal and gravitational laws of our existence, how would we, how would our understanding of the world be shaped right now? It would probably be inaccurate, incorrect, incomplete. So solitude is fine, but there is a distinction between solitude in isolation. When I'm in solitude, I am in the presence of ideas. I am in the presence of comfort. When I'm in isolation, I'm in the presence of nothing but sorrow. Different words have different emotional attachments. And that may be an incidental attachment of solitude. Who knows? Uh, Someone may be in solitude and they may feel as if they're empty. Who knows? But I am no longer in isolation. I am now in solitude, speaking to all of you in the presence of ideas, in the presence of warmth. But the topic of today's podcast, and I oftentimes don't really do one topic podcast because I think that's awfully limiting. And I try to cover as much news as possible because this is a news show. This is a commentary news show. But unfortunately, the news cycle is consumed by a behemoth which is trampling across Washington and has nestled itself neatly within the minds, the consciousness of the progressive politicians within the United States Congress assembled, and that is the impeachment proceedings against President Donald J. Trump. So, depending on when you guys are listening to this, on this day, Wednesday, January 13th, 2021, the House is going to impeach, and actually, at the time I recorded this, already has enough votes in their tabulation to impeach President Donald Trump. As I talk to you right now, and this number is going to change by the end of the show even, the House has nine Republicans and over 200 Democrats voting for impeachment. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's amazing because so many people have allowed their political capital to be situated and and, and placed 
into a action which may indeed be manifestly unjust and vindictive. They, the politicians who are voting to impeach Donald Trump are levying their authority or levying their influence, their powers over the institutional strands, the institutional tools by which our government operates to punish the current president. Now, if in theory a president deserves to be punished, this is fine. There are plenty of people who are not fans of President Trump, and there are plenty of people who would accuse me, even, of being a fan of President Trump because I decide to say impeaching him is vindictive and unjust. And that is a part of the problem of our current politics. There are ills boiling up beneath the surface of our political conversations and the way many Americans think about politics, that it creates environments in which unjust actions like the today's baleful impeachment proceedings can be undertaken with a sense of virtue and a sense of heroism. So many people, especially the divergent Republicans who are voting to impeach President Trump, approach this with a hero complex, a sense of heroism, a sense that they are saving the country. And that sentiment conveys the first ill of the impeachment hysteria. The idea that a single legislative action done by a few hundred people out of 320 plus million people in the United States of America assembled, the idea that they can change the country or they can shape the country better than you can is a false idea which denies your individual power and denies the ability of your individual will to shape things. Now, you may not believe that the will is free. But even if you don't believe the will is free, which is, I think, if you don't believe the will is free, you're off to a bad point in the first part, first place. You can believe that action occurs. Rational action occurs. And to some extent, we can control that action. Now, someone who doesn't believe the will is free will say, oh, well, there are so many factors that go into, you know, the actions. You may not even be able to fully choose your actions. You may be influenced. Whatever. We can still do under that paradigm rational action. So even if you believe that free will is non-existent and that every all of our actions are predetermined by some sort of biological metric, whatever false ideas you might believe, you can still understand and see where I'm going with this. It is an absolute shame, my friends, that we think legislation dictates destiny. Or that many think legislation dictates destiny. Jean-Jacques Rousseau said in the Social, social Contract, one of his preeminent writings, which was absolutely reviled amongst France in his day was reviled by Voltaire and Montesquieu and all the other great French thinkers who themselves had serious flaws and issues. Who themselves lauded the state too much, who themselves didn't care about rights, who themselves had wrong conceptions of government. Along with Rousseau. Yet people who don't understand the proper station of freedom in human existence, such as 
Montesquieu and Voltaire, still feuded with someone who equally didn't understand the proper role of freedom in human existence, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Rousseau says it is the up to the general will to determine political decisions. And your natural liberty, your ability to be a free person, no longer matters. What matters in political calculations is your relation to the sovereign and your existence with the sovereign. The sovereign is the government, essentially. The sovereign is the thing that controls the government. What matters, according to Rousseau, about what you do is you being an individual, indivisible part of the whole, of the general will, of the entire populace, not you being an individual. A great majority of people have a similar kind of generalizistic framework upon which they conduct politics in America. In this nonsense, which we'll call the common good, this nonsense of the common good, and I say it's nonsense because I don't think the common good is always righteous or is even righteous as a starting point. I think that what is righteous is that which protects individual freedom and therefore protects rights. Justice is a matter of preserving rights. Justice is not a matter of ensuring that the most people in the world or most people in a certain area get their wills accomplished. Justice is a matter of, of securing that which we can objectively divine to be true through logic, through empirical research and empirical evidence, and through reason as well. We're not going to have reason in isolation. We're not going to have logic in isolation. We're going to have... All those things working together to produce a coherent framework upon which our government operates. But again, this common good stuff has kind of creeped into the dialogue. And it is fueling many of the arguments in favor of impeaching, impeaching President Trump. So let me give you an example. A representative from Missouri, Representative Cory Bush, who is actually a member of AOC's Fabled Squad, her collection of left-leaning people who help her with her policy initiatives. Cory Bush said the following, and this is from The Independent in the UK, but many outlets have reported on this today as already. So they said, Squad member Cory Bush branded Donald Trump the white supremacist-in-chief as she called for his removal from office. The Democratic congressman was booed by Republicans as she attacked the outgoing president during his impeachment hearing in the House of Representatives. This is Bush's words now. If we fail to remove a white supremacist president who incited a white supremacist insurrection, it's communities like Missouri's first district that suffer the most. So again, you see from Cori Bush's statements in support of impeachment that she's coming at this from a totally utilitarian, consequentialist, Rousseauian viewpoint. So the idea that a majority black district, because Bush is also black, and she mentions black people, black folks, black lives in the next sentence, we'll get to that in a moment. The idea that a majority black district state is inextricably linked with a United States president, when that United States president, to my knowledge, is not actively legislating or actively agitating against that majority black district is simply an extension of the idea of this general will. The individual doesn't really matter. It's a, ta a tacit, implicit assumption. She's not explicitly quoting Rousseau, 
But it's, it's birthed from the same kind of thinking. In the same kind of political understanding. As the general will is. So that's, that's the first fallacy. The second fallacy is she did not validate or try to prove how Donald Trump supposedly is a white supremacist. Which leads me to believe her move for impeachment is more about her perception of Donald Trump rather than what Donald Trump actually is. From my understanding, from what I see, I don't think Donald Trump is a white supremacist. I just don't see the proof of it. He is many things. You can criticize him for many legitimate policy disagreements. But he's not a white supremacist. And Cory Bush fails to present evidence of his supposed white supremacism. But again, this is a woman who wields political power, who occupies the United States Congress, and has the authority and the ability to push forward an impeachment proceeding against the current president. Someone like this, who doesn't appear to be interested in facts, just perceptions, and just false notions of how politics is meant to be constituted. Let's continue. She goes on to say, the 117th Congress must understand that we have a mandate to legislate in defense of black lives. Black lives. So now she's particularizing her sentiments. Again, there's no individual in this sentiment. The individual doesn't exist. They're now a block black lives, she says. If every human being has rights, it is the government has the not just the imprimatur, but the obligation to protect everyone's rights, regardless of race. But to Cory Bush and to people who think like Cory Bush. The government's obligations are much more particular than that. The government's response to historical suppression and oppression or supposed historical suppression and oppression rather than ethical and epistemic righteousness conferred upon us by our ability to understand historical events in light of their proper context and to understand the condition of humanity in light of its proper context. Continue. She goes on to say, the first step in that process, Ms. Cory Bush says, the first step in that process to protect black lives that she mentioned is to root out white supremacy, starting with impeaching the white supremacist in chief. Again, she doesn't she doesn't say how he's white supremacist. She doesn't really officiate it. She doesn't she does she just says these things and it, the that this statement presupposes that a certain state argument has already been made and accepted. At this point, it's not an argument; it's akin to an aphorism, a, a, an aimless aphorism. And yet, this is the kind of thinking that is going into impeaching Donald Trump. The articles of impeachment list the reason, and I'm, I had the articles written for me. For impeaching Trump as follows. The articles of impeachment say, hold on, let me find it. They say that 
the president, President Trump repeatedly issued false statements asserting that the presidential election results were the product of widespread fraud and should not be accepted by the American people or certified by state or federal officials. And they go into his speech and everything. And he says, and the reason they say is, the president willfully made statements that in that context, in the context of challenging election, encouraged and foreseeably resulted in lawless action at the Capitol, such as if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore, direct quote President Trump. Thus, here's the important part, incited by President Trump, members of the crowd he had addressed, in an attempt to, amount to, to among other objectives, interfere with the joint session's solemn constitutional duty to, to certify the results of 2020 presidential election, unlawfully breached and vandalized the Capitol, injured and killed law enforcement personnel, menaced members of Congress, the vice president, and congressional personnel, and engaged in other violent, deadly, destructive, and seditious acts. So several things are assumed in this article of impeachment. One of those things is that, A, the people that went out and did this were all of them were at the speech when there were protesters that were at the Capitol, gathering at the Capitol, who didn't even go to the speech. It also assumes that a vague statement from President Trump, fight like hell, which can mean many things and can exist in many contexts, and he has said that same phrase over and over again for the past four years, and that phrase has existed in many contexts. We are to believe that since some people decided to go out and cause violence and, per and perpetuate sedition against the United States government, they all did so on the basis of that one statement. This is what the articles of impeachment that, that they are debating on right now, that they are voting on right now, are saying. It is saying that the president, from that very statement, understood that his, his supporters would go out and cause violence, and they did so on the basis of his urging that they need, they need to fight like hell. Does, do metaphors exist anymore? Do, do, do non-literal applications of words exist anymore? If I say, guys, we, think we have to get involved in this fight between principles and mediocrity, does that mean you go out and you begin punching people who are being mediocre? Well, it's a Plausible interpretation of what I said. I said, fight, didn't I? Jesus. Goodness sakes, people. I don't think we are being particularly honest with ourselves. We're not being honest about how logically errant the charges against the president are. You can argue that he had a... You can argue whatever you want to argue about... The, the protest and the Capitol. Look, I have condemned the protest several. I have no, I condemned the, the riot several times. There was a big protest that happened independent of the riot. The riot was a very small offshoot of the broader protest. The protest had a lot of people on there, and most of them, and even the Guardian admits this in their analysis, most of those people, this is the Guardian, not me, were peaceful. And there is video evidence to corroborate that truth. So what in the world are we doing when we try to conflate that entire event with violence? 
And when we try to conflate the actions of 1% of the crowd with the actions of the entire crowd and the general sense of Trump supporters, what are we doing? I will tell you what we're doing. We are engaging in absolute falsehood. We are engaging in sophistry. We are engaging in rhetorical manipulation. That's what this impeachment proceeding is mostly. It is predicated upon rhetorical manipulation. And this does not mean President Trump is a saint. I'm trying to separate so desperately here the principles from any person. The problem, and this is another ill I mentioned that underlies American politics, which creates an outgrowth, a dangerous outgrowth of action. One of the other problems in American politics is that we are so wedded to people. We are so wedded to personalities. We are so wedded to things that do not have to do with the preservation of the American experiment. We are so wedded to so much stuff that has nothing to do with so much minutia. And if we're wedded to so much minutia, how can you ever expect us? How can you ever respect our representatives to engage in good governance? Politics is simply the science of human interaction within a society as it relates to preserving rights. Politics properly idealized is the science of human interaction in a society as it relates to preserving rights. Properly idealized. That's what politics is. Now when it's in its wrong form. Politics can be many things. But properly idealized. Politics that, rep that represents and recognizes the truth. That kind of politics. That's what its goal is. But unfortunately, that maneuver is not being represented by the House Democrats very well. Unfortunately, that idea is not being taken seriously by many members of Congress on this day. It is most unfortunate. It is most unfortunate. But, unfo but the best thing is, though, I think that we are approaching, we are fast approaching a time in which we can begin to recognize... The very, 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 very important need for proper ethical conduct and proper ethical truth within political <sighs> actions. So we'll talk more about this when we get back from our break, which is going to come up in a minute here. But I want you guys to be thinking about a few questions. A, does impeachment further good governance? B, are the reasons for impeachment philosophically and morally correct? And C, does one person, or should one person, command so much authority over our minds and our perceptions of a country that has existed centuries before that person or anyone who is alive today even was a thought? Those three questions, think about those very closely. You gotta be pensive about this, my friends. Be pensive about this. Think about this very closely. And when we get back to talk more about this stuff, it's exhausting, but guess what? I'm in this fight for all of you. You all deserve the truth, I promise. So, just we'll be back. We're right here listening to Pence Politics on the Fed by Ravens Radio Network.
Alright friends, welcome back. How are you guys doing? Hope you guys had not changed very much from the break. But, if you have, then, oh well. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Pins Pogs, Mr. Watson. Again, if you don't follow us already on social media, right, especially right now when they're clamping down on everything. They're clamping down on everything. If you don't follow us, you need to follow us. So, please, at Official C. Watson on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, par well, when Parler gets back up, Parler, Minds.com. I'm on alternative platforms as well. Please, 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 following me, following the show, supporting me just by clicking that button is one of the best things you can do. If you want to support me financially, which is even more important given the kind of space we exist in right now and the just the absolute utter bile and trash and mistruth that is floating around the, the conversation, then please support me. Uh, by donating to my PayPal. My PayPal is at officialcwatson at gmail.com. My PayPal is at officialcwatson at gmail.com. Even one dollar, even one cent helps. Whatever you can give in these very tough and financially perilous times, please give and I will be a happy man and I'll be able to continue to produce more content like this for you. If you don't give... Uh, it's going to be harder for me, but I'm going to keep trying regardless. So thank you guys so much for your support. And thank you guys so much for listening to this 20-year-old who's just trying to make his dreams come true. It means a lot to me. So I talked about how we talk about politics and how that disturbs me. And how we think about politics and how that disturbs me. And how that produces so much of the chaos that we've seen over the past week in Washington. That produces so much of the antagonism whether it's with 75-year-old Democratic congresswoman who contracted COVID and believes she did so because two or more Republican representatives did not wear masks, whether it's with the Antifa narrative swirling around the protest, whether it's with the idea of stopping the still by going in there and stealing the peace and lives of congresspeople, whether, regardless of what narrative guides certain actions, they all have a unifying theme. They are all predicated upon a misunderstanding of proper political action. They're all predicated and they all advance forward with a very unjust method. And that method is nothing short of, I'm going to give you a secret. It's nothing short of force legitimized by wrapping the threat or wrapping the idea of force around self-defense. Because the only legitimate purpose of using force is self-defense. Which is one of the reasons why I think taxation is coercion and bad. The One of the only legitimate purposes of using force is self-defense. So many people, many radicals like Antifa, will convince themselves that they are under attack. Oh, what well, minorities are under attack, white people are under attack. Ergo, therefore, let me go and use force to defend myself. So a lot of Americans are operating under a, a solipsistic idea of self-defense that doesn't confer or conform with or to reality. That is one of the most dangerous problems. That is why Cori Bush said we need to legislate in defense of black lives. 
Well, why, why not? Why can't we legislate in defense of any individual? Black, white, Hispanic, purple, Asian, alien. I don't care. Well, because it doesn't fit the idea that African Americans, according to her, are under constant assault by white supremacy. And she probably believes in systemic racism and all other things, many of which enable you to think in a certain way, in an unenlightened, based, primal way about politics, about the individual, about certain groups. That is the problem. That is why impeachment today is proceeding forth as if it's a given. Not because there's actually a legitimate case for it. Language is important, my friends. <laughs> but how we interpret language is even more important. And if you believe you are constantly under assault, if you believe you have a, the halo of perpetual victimhood over your head, whether you're on the right or the left, you will act out as someone who is defending themselves. And that may entail sometimes violence. So... When Maxine Waters says, Dear Lord, when that very, very misguided woman says, It's time for you to go out there and make sure these supporters of this president, make sure these people can't operate in society anymore. When John Ossoff, the newly elected senator of Georgia, says that if you aided this president or you aided this these ideas you you shouldn't be able to show your face in public they are reflecting the demented nefarious idea of artificial self-defense they believe the political shapes the human and not the human the political they believe that we are but an extension of the various factors and policies produced by the government and produced by society. And they may not even know they believe this, but their actions speak for themselves. There's also an expectation in politics that I've always just broken, and I'm a little bit slower today because I am tired today. I'm tired, if you guys couldn't tell. I'm a little bit slower in my talking right now because I'm tired. But normally, I'm very fast. I'm much more passionate. <clears throat> and I'm tired on a mental level. Not a physical level, on a mental level. Because there's just so much going on. And there's just so much injustice being created by these moves and these pushes. And there's just so much polarization. It makes me physically tired. And the big tech thing, and losing followers Monday, and getting followers the next day. It's all a bunch of dynamic, fluctuating chaos. That takes it takes a very strong little person to absorb all of that and to handle all of that in a way that is propitious to their advancement as a human being. That's what it takes. And I think I'm that person, but <laughs> but normally I'm very much passionate. I talk very fast and everything. And there is a certain political idea that says. You have to present yourself in a posh way. You have to present yourself in a... You have to sound commanding. You have to sound authoritative. With a, that, that, un, that, that unmolded passion can make you sound 
crazy or angry or uh, all this. So, so, I, so it would be the opinion of some individuals that I talk like this and that I never, ever, ever move in a way that is going to distract, and that I am very posh, and that I am very, uh, uh, very, very clear in my enunciation of, of, of all, all this stuff. Many people are more concerned with the appearance of politicians. Oh, well, look at that young woman there. She speaks, oh, look at that young man. He speaks so articulately, and he knows proper posture, and he knows all this. And, 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 and guess what? He, he always, uh, connects with his listener, and oh, blah, blah, blah. and you sound like a British aristocrat that I'm getting sick of. Listen. If you listen to Pence of Politics, you're going to get the raw, unfiltered Christian Watson. I have not been trained to speak by some lobbyist or some PR person. I have taught myself. And I have imitated, to a certain extent, the greats. And adopted their styles and their habits into my own style. Because I, I believe, ultimately, that we are divinely unique individuals. And our own styles, our own ideas should not be seeded for the old ideas of the past if those ideas don't advance ours. If they advance ourselves, sure, you get, keep the past. The past is important to understand and reflect upon. No, let's not be like Nietzsche here and just throw away all that. Let's not be like, no, the past is important for us to have a, 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 a vantage point from where we started. <clears throat> but I'm not going to sound like one of these paid people on MSNBC or CNN. Who knows every single word to say and knows the proper posture and knows how to uh, woo the audience with their seamless and, and effortless and immaculate speech. No, 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 That is part of the problem. Because when that facade falls, people get angry that they were deceived. Most politicians, most news presenters are not these manicured, posh, polished people you see on your screens or you see on the floors of Congress. Most of those kind of people are just as sloppy as you and I on the inside. They are just as human as you and I. They make mistakes. They're not perfect. They're not immaculate. But there are so many people who put up facades and pretend to be better than they actually are and are not authentic. And when we finally find out who those people are, people get mad. Oftentimes because they have convinced themselves of the divinity or of the uniqueness of this particular person because of the facade they erect. We gotta stop that, guys. I have seen so many people tear apart politicians because they weren't the person that they thought they were. Well, did they give you any hints? I bet they did. Did they, did they tell you? I bet they did. People were at the airport screaming at Lindsey Graham. Chasing Lindsey Graham. A mob. And look, I'm not a fan of Lindsey Graham whatsoever. <laughs> The war crimes and oh, no, no, it's not my kind of politician, man. I'm not into 
bombing people and, and, and using violence and imperialism to enforce my will upon other nations. No, that's not Christian Watson. We don't we don't do that, Pensapolitics. We don't do that. We use we use voluntary speech and associations to change things. Nonviolence. So trust me, I'm no apologist for Lindsey Graham. My lord. And Liz Cheney. Ooh, no, 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 no. 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 That's not me. Never will be me. But the reason people were mad at Lindsey Graham was because they thought he was more supportive of the current president than he actually was. They had a conception of Lindsey Graham that didn't conform to reality. And if people had paid attention to how Lindsey Graham spoke before supporting the president became politically advantageous to him, they would have known this. But we have to be posh and have the proper posture and everything and never misspeak a word and never stutter and make sure that we're all good and that it looks good and that it sounds good and if it sounds good and it looks good, it'll be, ah, forget that BS, man. Forget it, man. Forget that BS. And yes, I am angry. Because so many people put up a facade and we believe it and we are deceived by it. And we hurt ourselves the moment they ex expose their own deceit. They live in deceit. But you have no one but yourself to blame for them living in deceit if you decided to believe them when they already told you who and what they were five, four years ago, five years ago. If you don't look at the past, you will never learn anything. Are you surprised that Liz Cheney is running for impeachment? Many were. Oh my gosh, the GOP conference chair is running for Are you surprised? Oh. Oh, you're not surprised. You're shocked. Because you don't know how to handle. <laughs> you don't know how to handle. The fact that you bought someone's incomplete product. And there's no more receipt for you to return it back to the shelves. You want your money back. Oh. Oh. Oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. Ladies and gentlemen. You should not be surprised that nine House Republicans. And that Mitch uh, are supporting Peter And that Mitch McConnell is saying that he doesn't know what he's going to do yet. You should not be surprised. These people have been telling you who they were for so long, and you decided, because you had some fantasy in your mind, some fan fiction constructed in your head, that you were going to go ahead and believe them so that your fantasy could become reality, then when your fantasy comes crashing down, you get mad at Mitch McConnell. Don't get mad at Mitch McConnell. You knew who he was. You knew who exactly who Mitch McConnell was. You knew exactly what he wanted. You knew exactly what he believed. You knew everything. And yet you sat here and you were too busy chasing the crown. You were too busy chasing an idea. You were too busy chasing the forms. You were too busy chasing heaven. Trying to, as Buckley said, emanatize the eschaton on this earth. That you completely and utterly missed the earth. You utterly, completely and utterly missed reality. And that's another issue with our political system right now.
Most people act in ignorance. Most people tie their fates to politics. Most people get stressed out over politics. I get stressed out because A, I care about my country. B, I care about rights preservation. And C, I want this to be my career. And I would like a check eventually. <laughs> That's why I get stressed. But even I can detach and say, look, let's, let's go take a vacation or let's go rest. Let's not look at the news. For many people, what is happening tonight with impeachment is, go, is means to them the death blow of America. Because <laughs> they don't know what America is. Or they do know. And they don't have I can keep telling you about the policy woes of impeachment and how it doesn't help Biden's transition and all. I, I, can, I can go into the, the policy wonk discussions if you want me to. But I don't think you want me to do that. Because you can go get that from anywhere else. There is no one else right now in the popular political scene talking about the ideas and philosophy undergirding impeachment. First principles is where everything else comes from. You don't have a budget deficit without first having an understanding of monetary policy, which comes from a sound understanding of money and voluntary transactions, and which comes from an understanding of capitalism. You don't have a United States Congress without the fundamental understanding of the division of power and its conducive nature to the success of a republic. You don't have civil liberties concerns without understanding that the individual is free and has rights that you cannot infringe on. You don't have... Do I have to keep going? Ideas underlie politics. You have to understand the ideas. Because there is an idea manifesting in the halls of Congress right now. An idea that we all have to fight. An idea that says... If I can pin enough on you, if I can reimagine, as so many people like to say, certain ideals, certain realities, certain things to be in a different light, I can go about my life, I can go about my action trying to shift and change those things. This isn't about the president calling for insurrection because he didn't. I don't care what you think about the president. I don't care if you support him or if you don't support him. It's a hist Look. The truth corresponds to reality. I don't care what you think. There is a truth out there, and you find that truth by looking at reality and logically processing what you are looking at. Aristotle said this, Aquinas said this, Locke said this, and an essay on, on on knowledge, human knowledge. Oh no, an essay on understanding of human knowledge. This guy's entire, excuse me. <laughs> he said, there is nothing in my mind which has not yet been conveyed to my senses. That sort of spirit of empiricism coming in and taking over. That is what we're missing right now. Or if we do have it, we don't have it in its proper form. And its proper form is very simple. 
Its proper form is in processing what you see in reality without trying to conjoin it to your biases. Or if you do conjoin it to your biases, at least leave it out for a certain period of time so you can understand what's transpiring. I can't critique or engage effectively with an idea if I don't understand it. And so many people don't understand what's right in front of them today. That is one of the fundamental problems of American politics. One of the fundamental issues. It's a shame. So when this, when this impeachment stuff closes tonight, you're going to see an eventual trial in the Senate. I do think they're going to get a trial in the Senate. I'm not sure if it's going to be before the inauguration. That's way, That remains to be seen. But you're going to see this dog and pony show continue. And as it continues, you're going to see a false sense of justice talked about by a lot of left, left-leaning people. And maybe even people who are on the right a little bit too. Who despise the president. And again, I'm not an apologist for any one person. I am an apologist to, for the truth. For and to the truth. And if your words or your beliefs do not correspond to reality and therefore do not correspond to the truth, I'm going to come after you. Sorry. But if your beliefs correspond to reality and walk there and therefore walk in epistemic righteousness, even if I think your ideas or how you get to the truth is not correct, I will respect you and I will engage you. Not just with respect. But earnestly as well. But if you're operating in a, a world of falsehood, I don't want anything to do with you. Or actually, no, I do want something to do with you. Because I actually, no, I want something to do with you. But you need to fess up. Fess up. A lot of people have a lot of explaining to do today. If I was in Congress right now, I would, I would, I would abstain on the question of impeachment. Simply because I don't want my fate, my political fate, appended to a misuse, a gross misuse and unjust misuse of political resources in any way, shape, or form. I would reject the mechanism by which they're trying to convey their point. That's what Christian Watson would do. Then again, I would never get elected to political office. And now Thomas Massey is being attacked by many people, by Nicholas Sarwal, the chairman of the Libertarian Party, or former chairman of the Libertarian Party. He is being attacked for voting nay. I applaud Massey, because he understands what's going on. Even though I would have abstained, if you vote nay and you explain, you understand what's going on. Now Massey says, well, it's too much division if I vote yes. Look, this country has been divided for 270 plus years. This country was birthed from division. This country's greatest documents were ironed out through the fires of division. Division has been an instrument in creating America. That doesn't mean it's necessarily good, but I don't think the critique of division as a bad thing is very effective in light of historical understanding and even logical understanding as well. Because you have to pair the historical with the logical, the empirical with the rational, and then try to understand reality through that. But regardless... I support the effect of what Massey is doing, and that is to, to deny the Democrat the ability to impeach. It's not because I'm I, I, not because I'm some political partisan. 
It's because I understand what's going on. And when all of us understand what's going on, it'll make it much harder for these people to play us. It'll make it much harder for this inauthenticity that I mentioned to be acted out in Congress. Anyway, my friends, I gotta get going, but look, I love each and every one of you. I love my viewers. I adore my viewers. Thank you so much for listening to me. Please be safe. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode, but please be safe. Please stay rational. Please, not gonna say that yet. Uh, I was about to say that the Indian craze of the show, I'm not gonna do it yet. But just please stay engaged. Follow me on, on Twitter, at Official C. Watson, on YouTube, at Christian Watson, on Instagram, Facebook, Minds, Parlor, at Official C. Watson. Support me, support the fight. Um, donate to my PayPal, officialcwatson.com. Do whatever you can, my friends, because we this is a fight that we have to participate in, and we have to win. And we will win it, I promise you, but I need your help. I need armaments. Anyway, guys, I love you. Stay pensive, okay?